Welcome back to Thimbleberry U. I am John Jackay with Amy Wallace from Thimbleberry Financial. Amy, good to be back with you. Jack, it's great to be talking to you. And as we close out 2022, uh, we're talking today about why the market is different. And we know we've heard that before in our lives, but let me ask you specifically, why is this market different? This market is different. And I don't want to be flippant about it because I imagine some of our listeners are looking for some big, deep answers on this. <laughs> okay. And the reality is that every downturn, right, which is really why we're talking about this market, nobody cares to talk about uh, different markets in an upturn, but in a downturn that it's different than the market downturns before. Mm-hmm. And there is lots that's different. There was a pandemic. Uh, there is still a pandemic. There's politics. There's conflict with other countries. There's advances in technology that have been different since prior downturns. There's also more people working from home now, creating a different dynamic. And uh, I think we'd be remiss to say that social media plays a much bigger role in our lives now than it did in the last prolonged downturn, which I'm really referring to 2008 here. Yeah, social media has a lot more town criers and chicken littles than it did in 2008. That's for sure. Absolutely. And as a country, we're much more divided. Yeah. So I think all of those things play a role in our mindset um, and our experience of what's happening. But I think the biggest thing that's different in this downturn is us, meaning people. Okay. So we've talked about the external factors. What do you mean by that last part? How are we as people different? Yeah. And I don't want to paint with a big, wide paintbrush. Um, It's not the same for everyone. But let's use an example that works for all but our youngest investors first. Mm -hmm. 2008, the last prolonged bear market was 14 years ago. Yeah. I know I feel like I'm in a very different spot than I was then. I have a 14-year-old in high school about to turn 15. You know, just life-wise, we're in a different spot. But bear markets had been happening every six to eight years. Right. Up until that point. That was the average. So in a sense, we've gotten, as investors, those with experience, gotten out of the, quote, habit of those bear markets and our expectations and mindset around what this feels like has changed, Um, mostly from being out of practice, I think. That actually makes a lot of sense. You know, and to your point, 2008, I hadn't even met my wife yet, and I've known her for over a decade at this point. We've married five years. 2008, I was a 27-year-old radio DJ and a very, very different person uh, than I was right now. And yeah, you know, if something happens every so often, it stops happening, you, you forget about it. That makes complete sense. And if we consider then our youngest investors, their initial experience then hasn't been a normal pattern. Their pattern hasn't looked the same way um, that yours did yeah, or that mine did or that the baby boomers have looked because they've had such a long bull market to experience Mm -hmm. that they didn't have that first ugly taste of a bear market. Fair. And then I think last, you know, that's kind of the habit piece but also recency bias. All right, so we've talked about biases on the show before. Specifically, remind us what recency bias is. Yeah, it is the idea that what has happened is the norm and should be expected. (laughs) Yep, that's right. (laughs) Right? So it is irrational. It feels rational, but it is irrational. And it makes us as humans unable to objectively look at 
the possibility or the probability that other events could occur. And the outcome of that is really some, unfortunately, poor decision making. You're making me think about uh, a recent trip to Las Vegas and you walk by the roulette wheel and it's like, well, red has come up the last three times. That might affect where I put my chips. And really, it's the same chance of red or black or zero as it always is. But you're looking at, okay, or, or uh, okay, I'm playing blackjack and the dealer busted three times in a row. So I'm sure they're going to bust again. That is recency bias, right? Absolutely. And just recently, our school had a fundraising uh, event that was casino night. And I was having a great time at the roulette table um, that night. And sure enough, I can absolutely um, put myself in that position of, ooh, it was black. Ooh, it was odd numbers. Ooh, it was even numbers. What am I going to pick based on that? So what you're saying is if recency bias can affect someone as smart as you, Amy, we are all susceptible (laughs) to it. Well, there's an opposite to it also, right? So the opposite of recency bias is primacy bias. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the focus on early facts, prior examples, um, really to the point of excess. So that can also lead to poor decision making. Can you give me an example of uh, primacy bias? Um, Maybe, you know, especially because so many of our clients do work in the tech sector. Maybe somebody's company IPO'd, Mm -hmm. had an initial public offering. And the stock price was, you know, 75-ish dollars at the IPO. Mm -hmm. And the facts of that situation are what that client attaches to, or that person doesn't have to be a client, attaches to as everything that's related to the company today. But it may be five years later, and many of those situations aren't the same any longer. So rather than accept where the company is now, they are attached to all those facts and figures from when the IPO happened. I think back to October and November and their ridiculousness around Twitter. That's probably another example of people thinking what Twitter had been versus what it was at that point. Absolutely. So, you know, I bring up the opposite of the recency bias because to make good decision making, which is what we want for people and our clients, right, is finding balance between history, what's happened recently, and being open to new information so that the best decisions can be made. That's really important. So I know we've talked about sequence of returns previously on the podcast. What do you say to retired folks that are worried about the market being down at the beginning of their retirement and taking some time to recover? Gosh, Jack, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) That's why I asked it. (laughs) You know, my answer is always going to be individual to the person I'm talking to. So uh, I'm painting, again, some pretty broad brush strokes here. But generally, one, I'm going to hope that they have cash on hand to minimize amounts they may need to withdraw from accounts. Mm -hmm. Second, generally, I'm going to say don't take out more than what's needed. It's the withdrawals that hurt the worst because they take you further away from being able to recover. And then making sure that their allocation is appropriate for whatever their risk appetite is currently. I think that's important because a market like this can show that someone's perceived tolerance for risk is different than their real tolerance for risk. And so if they're not invested in the right spot, I really think it's important to have a plan to fix that. Now, I say a plan because sometimes a plan means not acting now. Yeah. And sometimes a plan can mean actually acting now. So Uh, In this case, there are times where it might be beneficial to make changes right now. And there are 
situations where it wouldn't make sense to do things right now. We definitely have clients in both camps based on various things they had going on in this market. Two points that we've made in previous podcasts that you're reminding me of, Amy, is I know any of Amy's clients hopefully have a cash reserve on hand because that's something she has stressed the importance of in, you know, 70 or so episodes of this podcast. So hopefully you have that as a first start. (laughs) But also, you know, we've talked about risk tolerance, risk appetite, whatever you want to call it. You may, in theory, look at a piece of paper and say, yeah, I'd be okay if uh, if my investments were down X percent. But then you look at your actual dollars and cents on your statement, say, uh, you know, maybe I'm not okay with that. Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm getting a, a chill down my spine looking at this. It's important to know what your actual risk tolerance is and if an adjustment needs to be made. And that's why Amy and her team have individual plans tailored to each one of her clients. Let me flip the script on you, Amy. We talked about folks that are about to retire. What if uh, on the younger side, I'm 30 and I'm really worried. What do you say to a younger investor or a younger client who's worried about this kind of market we're in right now? Well, I think it's probably fairly safe to assume it's your first downturn. Right. Welcome to the party. Yep. Welcome to the party. And this is what we have to go through if we want to be invested. Mm -hmm. Like if we want the joy of investing and the, the benefits of that, we have to go through this. It's harder to experience something than to have heard about something. Oh, for sure. And so just knowing that you're experiencing this for the first time, And so there are some lessons to be gained from this to help know what the right thing is for you going forward. I think also, I like to point out and Jag from our conversations, I don't think this will come as as any surprise to you or our listeners, that in a down market, there is opportunity to invest more. Right. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of having a cash reserve. But if there's extra money around, why not get that repositioned and into the market? There's various ways to do that. And we've talked about that in podcasts. I also think that there's the opportunity of changing mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, There is risk in being out of the market at the wrong time. We've talked about this before, that if over the 40 years from 1980 to 2020, you missed the top 10 days of the market, you would have less than half of what you would have if you were invested on those top 10 days. So being in cash actually creates risk. Same way that being invested has risk. They both have that. The analogy that I love is that you could say that stocks and securities right now are on sale. With the market being down, yeah, it hurts. But if you're getting into the market, you're potentially getting in on the lower floor, a ground floor, so that hopefully when the market comes back, past performance does not indicate future results, but you can ride that elevator up to the top as the market returns. So that's the potential to offset some of that risk. Again, each individual situation is different. Age is a big factor, whether you're in retirement or younger and have time to uh, you know wait until retirement. We'll go in the middle now. Again, someone like me, I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I just turned 42. What about me? I mean, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle here of my of my working years between starting work, sweeping floors in a convenience store and hopefully uh, retiring on a cruise somewhere. So w- what about those of us in the middle? Yeah, I think uh, oftentimes in the middle, it's similar to someone younger because uh, let's assume you've got a long time frame until horizon and a long time frame till the rest of your life. There's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. and you need to be able to remind yourself of that and stay patient. I think it's also a good reminder, maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit, but a reminder about keeping in mind what's most important and knowing, hey, I've got these shorter term goals and these longer term goals. Some of these I'm willing to delay a little bit and these other ones I'm not. 
So I think a market like this can be a good um, values check for your overall goals. That's a really good point. As we start to close out here, Amy, just a couple specific strategies you want to hit on uh, in times like this? Yeah. Um, one, staying invested. Like I, I mentioned, missing out on upside can be a very big deal. There is also how you invest. If you look at this and say, yeah, I've got some extra funds I can put into this market. There's lump sum investing versus dollar cost averaging. And this is what I was alluding to earlier when I said we've talked about it in, in other podcasts. That One, the lump sum investing means taking a chunk of money. If you have $100,000 that you want to invest, you could put it all into the market at one time. Mm-hmm. The market may go down the next day. <laughs> so you have to tolerate that. Yeah. And hope, know that eventually the market should recover. On the other hand, there's dollar cost averaging, which means maybe taking the 100000 and you put $10,000 a month into the market for 10 months to get to your $100,000. Dollar cost averaging allows you to normally get a a more average price per share Mm -hmm. and and not take the risk that the market drops the next day, or at least it's not big of a risk. But studies show that lump sum investing wins 66% of the time for every 10-year period in the market over dollar cost averaging. So I think this is one of those areas where the behavioral finance side of what me and my team looks like becomes so important in our work with our clients because it's not a one shoe fits all. Some folks we work with absolutely dollar cost averaging is the right way to go because of their mindset. And if we lump some invested and the market went down the next day, it's going to negatively impact all of their future investing decisions, even though statistically it's better. They have that shock. I mean, you, you scared me when you said dump in $100,000. I get that you dump in $100,000, market's down 10% the next day. That 100000 is ninety. That's quite a sticker shock. So you got to be okay with that and understand the bigger picture. And if that's going to scare you away from putting more money in, dollar cast averaging might be the right path for you. Again, why Amy and her team you know, work with you behaviorally to know how you tick to have the right strategies for you. Uh, any other strategies before we wrap up? Yeah, I think one more comes to mind right away for me, and that's Roth conversions. Jag, you know I'm a huge fan of Roth conversions in the right situation, and that's basically taking IRA or 401k type money and converting it into a Roth where it will get to grow tax-free and be distributed tax-free, follow all the rules, permanently. And in a down market, basically that's saying, let's use our $100,000 example, you had $100,000 in an IRA before the market dropped. You now have $80,000 in there. We always need to pay attention to your total income, but you could take that $80,000 and move it over to the Roth, it's called a conversion, and you still have the potential value of the $100,000 and more that the account was at. Uh, but when you get taxed on that conversion, you're now only getting taxed at 80000 instead of at 100000 If that money's down, you're being taxed on the lower amount, which is an important point. Yes. And so as it grows, you get back to that 100,000 and then beyond just as you would have in the other account. Love it. Amy, you've given me a lot of things that I can think about. I'm not sure if you can see through my bald head right now, but there are gears turning as I think about my specific financial situation with all these ideas and tools you've been mentioning in the last 15, 20 minutes. If one of our listeners has their gears turning and they want to reach out to you and your team at Thimbleberry, how do they find you? They can reach us at 503-610-6510 or find us online at thimbleberryfinancial.com. Great stuff, Amy. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Jag. Thanks. Registered representative, securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. 
Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Thimbleberry Financial are not affiliated.